You're listening to the weekly Parsha podcast recorded with Hashem's great assistance in Ramah Pesheshimish's Rav 5769-2008. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Miketz, and in this week's Parsha, so Yosef becomes the ruler in Mitzrayim in Egypt, and his brothers come down, they need food, and Joseph, Yosef, his dreams are fulfilled. They bow down to him, they show him tremendous deference, and they request that they get some food as they came down. That was their mission. And he responds in a very gruff way, and he says to them, you guys are spies. You're here to check out how you can break in. You're the first people, say the Mephorshim, you're the first people who came down from Canaan. You're here because you want to check out. Otherwise, why did you come in ten different entrances into the land into the land of Egypt? And they respond and say, no, we're not spies. We're actually ten sons of the same father. We're all brothers. And Yosef, very, very tough with his brothers. He recognizes them, of course, and they don't recognize him. And so the Moforshim, the commentaries, they grapple, trying to understand why was it that Yosef dealt so harshly with his brothers. It wasn't that a revenge, heaven forbid, we're talking about a great tzaddik, a great righteous person. He wasn't trying to get back at them for what they had done to him, no. In fact, at the end of the whole story, so they're concerned after Yaakov Avinu dies, so they're afraid that perhaps he's going to exact his revenge now that Yaakov has died. But no, he says, heaven forbid, he's all upset. He says, no, you had bad thoughts in your head, but I knew all along that it was from Hashem. Hashem wanted us to come down. He wanted me to be able to take care of this whole land, all these people. There was going to be a great famine. That's why Hashem sent me down. I know that you had a negative intent, but I don't hold it against you. That's what Yosef said. So but it's clear that Yosef did not bear any kind of grudge towards them. So why was he behaving in this way? Why was he sending them on this roller coaster, this difficult test? So the Mephoshim explained, the commentators explained, that the reason that he did this was because he had a dream. And the whole story began 22 years earlier when he had this dream and in the dream. So not only did these 10 brothers who bowed down to him bow down, but also his brother Benjamin, Benjamin, also bowed down to him. So what he needed to do was he needed to make sure that Benjamin would be brought down to him. So he had to create this whole trick. And in order that they should bring down Benjamin, and Binyamin too would be part of the group bowing down to him as per his first dream. In his first dream, so the 11 brothers were bowing down. That was something that was necessary to occur. And that's in fact what happened at the end of the of this week's Parsha. When they come back down with Binyamin, they all bow down to him, including Binyamin. And so that's why he, he had this whole plan and he made it so difficult for them in order that this this dream be fulfilled. Now the problem that presents itself for us, at least for me, it bothers me, I don't understand we need to understand why is it that Yosef felt that it was necessary for him to do something to make the dream become fulfilled. Doesn't he see, doesn't Yosef see, look, it's almost completely fulfilled. Ten out of his eleven brothers came down. They all bowed down to him. Why can't he just trust in Hashem, trust in God, know that Hashem, just like he fulfilled this part of the dream, Hashem's also going to fulfill the rest of the dream. Why does he have to do this whole plan to make sure that the dreams are fulfilled? Why can't he just trust in God? So I was thinking about this question, and I realized there are a number of precedents. Yosef was not the first person who had some kind of prophecy or some kind of dream and felt it necessary to do some kind of active engagement in reality in order to bring about that dream. We find it much more previously, many years before. The first place where I thought that I believe that we we see this is in regards to Avram, Abraham, and Sarah. Avram and Sarah, so Hashem had promised to Avram Avinu, to Abraham, that he was going to be the father of many nations, he was going to have a great amount of children, and he'd been, he'd been married to Sarah for many years, to Sarah for many years, and he didn't have any children. 
So, but they didn't give up. They didn't just say, okay, forget it. We're going to give up now. We're going to let things happen as they happen. Hopefully God will make a miracle happen to us by the time we're 100 years old. They didn't do that. What did Sarah do? Sarah got up and he, and he said to Avram Avin, to Abraham, here, I want you to marry Hagar, my slave, my slave woman. And so we see already that, that even though there was a prophecy, that things were going to happen, that Avram was going to be the Avram and Goyim, the father of many nations, nevertheless, Sarah felt that it was necessary to take it into her own hands to do something active to make sure that the prophecy was fulfilled. Again, we find a similar thing with Rivka, with Rebecca. What happens when she's pregnant with these twins that are inside of her? She doesn't understand what's going on. Why, why is she getting kicked whenever they pass by a house of idolatry? Why is she getting kicked whenever they pass by a place where they're learning Torah? She doesn't understand what's going on. So she goes, she goes to ask of the prophets of those times with Shem and Ever in that yeshiva that she asked what's going on. And they told her, there are two different nations inside of you and the greater of the two will be the younger one. So she had this prophecy which she never revealed to Yitzchak to Isaac, but she had this prophecy and she knew that the younger one was going to be the greater of them. Now, according to that, so her, her awareness, so it shouldn't be necessary for her to get involved. The younger one is going to be the greater one, so the blessings will come to him. But she saw what was happening. Asaph was getting the blessings. She had to do something to intervene to make sure that the prophecy that she received would in fact come into fruition. So again, we see, we see why Sarah did it. We see Rivka did it. She also got involved in trying to make sure that a dream or prophecy occurred. The third place that we see it is also in regards to Rachel, Rachel Imenu. She was the mother of Yosef. She also taught us that it's not enough to have a prophecy to know why, what happened. It's clear from the verses, from the commentaries, they all explain that there was a prophecy, that it was a well-known thing, maybe it was, they knew it through divine inspiration, that Yaakov Avinu, that Jacob would have 12 sons. And so Leah, as soon as she had four, she said, I'm going to thank God, because she knew that she had gotten more than her portion, because four times three is 12, so there were four wives, so she knew that she was destined to only have three. Nevertheless, she had four, she was very thankful. It's also clear from the fact that when Rachel, she had Yosef, she said, Yosef Hashem bein acher. She doesn't say, I should have more than one son. She just says, I should have one more son because she knew that already that Yosef was 11 child. There was supposed to be 12. But it's clear from the verses that they knew that there was going to be 12 sons. But nevertheless, we find that Rachel, she's very careful. She does certain things. Even though there's a prophecy, there's going to be 12 sons. She does things in order to make sure that that prophecy comes true. She has the Dudaim, the special uh, plant that Ruvain found, which was supposed to help in order to have children. She does things in order to make sure that the prophecy comes true. So we see in multiple places, we see by Rivka, we see by Sar, we see by Rachel, that they did things when there was a prophecy, they, they did things actively in order to make sure that the prophecy was fulfilled. With that understanding, now we can explain why was it that Yosef felt compelled to do things to make sure that the dream was fulfilled. Because he knew there was a precedent that just the fact that he had a dream or a prophecy wasn't enough to assume that things were going to happen on their own. Rather, Yosef knew that there were certain things that he had to do. Obviously, we have to know exactly which things are considered the proper shtadlis, the proper efforts that are necessary, which things are not. Because he was called to task for saying anything to the Psar Mashkim in last week's parsha like we mentioned. But there were certain things that it was clear that he had to do in order to make sure that the prophecy was fulfilled and that was necessary. And in fact, it was, it was proper.
But now that we have this understanding, so then the question shifts a little bit, because instead of it being trying to understand why did Yosef do this, now I think we understand a little bit why Yosef felt it was necessary to do that. He was compelled by the dream that he originally had. He saw in the dream that all of his 11 brothers would bow down to him. He felt it was necessary to put them through this difficulty. But now it becomes the question is like this. Why did Hashem implant that message in the original dream such that Yosef would feel compelled to do this? Meaning, why was the prophecy set up this way so that ten of the sons would come down? They would have to endure this difficulty. They would have to go back. They'd have to bring back Binyamin back down to Egypt the second time. Yosef would have to accuse them of stealing his cup. And they would have to come back and there would be this showdown between Yehuda and Yosef. Why did Hashem plan it this way? Why was it necessary for them to go through this whole ordeal? Now, I'd like to take this question and actually apply it. The same exact question we can ask in regards to Hanukkah. This week is Hanukkah, and this is Shabbos Hanukkah. So the question you can ask, really the same exact question in the whole story of Hanukkah. What happens in the story of Hanukkah? So there's this evil king, Antiochus, and he's a Greek king, and he wants to take away the Jewish people from the Torah, not allow them to connect to Hashem, not allow them to have any spirituality. What you see is what you get. And he challenges the Jews, and he doesn't allow them to do what the Torah tells us to do. And so finally the Jews rise up, a small group of Jewish people who are dedicated to the Torah, and they say, we're not going to take this, and they fight against the Greeks, and a tremendous miracle happens, the many in the hand of the few, and the, the Jews were very weak, they weren't so strong, but they were able to somehow overcome. And the question is, the question that begs an answer here, is why did Hashem have to make the Jews undergo this difficult situation? The Jews were very happy to be learning the Torah. They were very happy to be involved in serving God in the base of Megdash in the temple. They were very happy to do all the things that they were doing until now. Why was it necessary for them to have an oppressor come upon them? And then all of a sudden, so they have this oppressor, and now it becomes difficult, and then they overthrow the oppressor, and God creates a miracle. Forget that well, we don't need, I mean, it's nice to have miracles, it's gorgeous, it's beautiful, but we don't need to have any fights. We don't need to have any miracles. Why, why, why do you need to create this whole situation for Hashem? Why does Hashem do this? So I'd like to share with you a story that happened to me last week. And this story, it was, I was very moved by what happened. And I think it will be moving to you too. Last week I was asked by a certain yeshiva in my neighborhood, in Ramat Chamesh to play at Achnas' Sefer Torah. Achnas' Sefer Torah is where they've completed writing the whole Torah, a Torah scroll, and they bring the Torah with a lot of fanfare and music and dancing into the place where it's going to be. So I was hired to play, to be the musician, to sing at this Achnas' Sefer Torah, this beautiful event. It was really beautiful. They were bringing this Torah into yeshiva. And so I played at the event, there was lots of dancing, and interestingly, usually at these types of affairs, so they invite the whole community, and there's a lot of blaring music, and they come with a car, and they come from far away, and they bring the Sefer Torah down the whole street, it's all procession, it's very beautiful, and it's very grand, and it's done in a very large way. But in this particular case, I didn't get it right away, I didn't totally understand what was going on, but but in this particular case, they actually brought the Sefer Torah from a very close place, it was finished right next door to the yeshiva, and there weren't a lot of people there, it was a smaller event, and they brought the Sefer Torah into the shul, so after they finished this whole procession, they finished bringing the Torah into the shul, they danced with it, they opened it, they read it a little bit, they put it into the ark, so they had a dinner afterwards in another location where I brought my keyboard and my music, and I played over there as well, it was more of a subdued laid-back type of affair. There were people, there were a few speakers. And one of the people that spoke was the person who actually had purchased the Sefer Torah, had hired the person to write the Sefer Torah, and he had given it to the care of the yeshiva to, for it to be the Torah scroll that would be read in the yeshiva. So this man, this, I guess he's a wealthy individual, he had donated this Sefer Torah to the yeshiva. 
And it became clear as the speeches were going through that this was no ordinary man, and it was not just Stam, a donated Sefer Torah, but what it turned out, it, it broke my heart. But uh, what it turned out was that this man, nine years ago, so they had a they had a child, and they had a child who, when he reached his fourth birthday, the day after his fourth birthday, this child had passed away from Tay-Sachs disease. It was very sad. It was really moving and sad story that they mentioned. And they said that that night, the night that they made the Hachnasa Sefer Torah, where they dedicated this Torah, was actually the night, nine years later, that would have been this child's bar mitzvah. And they decided to dedicate the Sefer Torah in memory, in the schus, in the merit of this child who had passed away, this four-year-old child who had passed away. And as the speeches progressed, it became clear that when this child passed away, so they faced a crossroads in their lives, because they looked at this child, and they looked at this loss, and a tremendous loss, no one should ever know such a thing, but they looked at this difficult situation that they found themselves in, and they didn't know where to turn, they didn't know how to deal with it. But unbelievably, they lived in a community, and they had a rav, a rabbi, who was able to guide them, to lead them, to help them see that everything is from God. Even the most difficult situations, I can't say this, this was this, this guy talking who underwent this loss. And even the most difficult situations, he, he was able to recognize it was from God. And they were able to grow from it. And they were able to develop in their spirituality. And they were, be, they were able, nine years later, to dedicate. They weren't, they weren't lost in their anguish. They weren't lost in their difficulty and, and in their darkness and their gloom and their depression. Nine years later, they're able to dedicate a Sefer Torah and to show how they're constantly, clearly involved in this yeshiva and supporting the yeshiva and involved in doing all kinds of different projects in order to further spirituality in the world, further Torah in the world. And they took something which was so difficult for them. They took this horrible situation that no one should ever know of. They were able to grow from that situation and use it as a stepping stone, as a, as a tool to grow greater and to strengthen their ruchnis, their spirituality and their connection to God. To me, that's the message that's underlying the theme of this parsha. That's the message that's underlying the theme of Hanukkah. Because the truth is that the Jews, before Hanukkah occurred, before there was any kind of oppression, so the Jews, you know, they did what they had to do. They, you know, they got up in the morning, they, they learned their dafyomi, and they put in their tefillin, and they did their thing, you know, they did the spiritual thing, but it was, didn't have the same luster that it would have much later. Only after they were challenged, and it was difficult, and they had to fight for it, then they really earned it. And then they really had that light, that beautiful light, that miracle that came out because of the difficulty that they had to undergo. That was that is one of the messages of Hanukkah that we see. It's not enough for us to be happy with the level that we're at spiritually. It's not enough for us to ever accept where we're at. And sometimes a little bit of a difficulty Hashem sends our way. We have to know that it's not because God, heaven forbid, wants to hurt us, to pain us, but rather it's because He knows that we grow best when we undergo difficulties. And that's what happened with Yosef and his brothers as well. They had done something wrong and they realized as they were undergoing this difficulty that it was from Hashem and then it was a result of their sins they recognized it right away they were able to see it. they were such great righteous people they were able to see that the difficulties were really Hashem sending them an opportunity to grow an opportunity to atone for their sins you know we have to look at our situations today is a time we're living in very tumultuous times we're living in times that are very difficult there are many people with financial issues you're living in Eretz Yisrael so there's difficulties happening every single day if you're living in Stero my uncle lives in Stero 60, 80 Katyushas they're shooting out towards all 
all around them from Gaza. We're living in difficult times. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. It's not an easy time. But why does Hashem send us these difficulties? Why does Hashem send a financial crisis? It's because we need to wake up a little bit. We need to realize we've, we've gotten too far. We've gone too far. We've gotten too involved in the physical world. We've gotten too involved in having a nice car, having a nice house, having all these beautiful things that aren't really important. We've forgotten. And Hashem gives us a little wake-up reminder because we don't wake up on our own. And we need to be a little bit pushed into a corner to wake up and say, hey, everything's not okay. It's not okay what I'm doing. Uh, getting too involved in the physical is not okay. Looking too much, spending too much time on the internet is not okay. Do, doing my thing the way I've been doing it until now is just not okay. I need to strengthen my relationship with Hashem. Hashem wakes us up because unfortunately so many times we don't wake up on our own. But we have to know that this is really a chesed of Hashem. It's a kindness of God. Because if He would just let us go, so we would keep going, we, we would get lost. But Hashem wakes us up. He gives us a little push. Sometimes it's hurt. it hurts. It's painful. It really hurts. It can hurt a lot. But Hashem does it out of His love. Heaven forbid, not out of malice, but rather with a desire to help us grow. I want to bless you and me and all of us. We should constantly see the messages that Hashem sends us. We should wake up. We should... Before it has to be something so difficult, we should wake up, strengthen our relationship with Hashem, recognize that everything that's happening in our lives is a message from Hashem. It's Hashem calling out to us, asking us to see what's really happening, to remind ourselves what's really important. And we need to change our attitude in regards to the difficulties that come our way because we have a habit of saying, oh, why is God doing this to me? We have to realize that no, God is doing this to us because He wants us to grow. We have to view our challenges as an opportunity to grow. And if we do that, so then certainly Certainly Hashem will help us constantly grow in our relationship with Him. Thank you so much for listening and have a very good Shabbos.